Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Uh, That's been the verse, the foundation from Psalm 34, 8, that has really laid a powerful foundation for our series that we've been in, an important series, an powerful series, as we kicked off a new year and even really a new decade together as a spiritual family. Here's what we've been saying, if you're brand new to our series, is this, that we as a culture, we as a people are really good at knowing or knowing about God, all right? You showed up to church today. You know probably something about God. But here's what we've said. We don't think God called us to just know or know about him. We believe that we have a real God who really wants us to experience him personally. And so this series has been all about that, about taste, see, and experience. That like that you personally, as a dad, as a mom, as a high school student, as a single parent, that you can experience God in your life. And so just kind of a quick recap, the series has been all about, hey, here's the foundation, so now take this next step, or take this next step, or know God in this way. So week one, uh, we said that we can know God, experience God through His Word, through Scripture, the Bible. So we launched our 2020 Life Journal reading plan. We're reading through the Bible together, and so if you're not in on that, stop by Info Services, man, jump in, just super simple, way for you to connect with God's Word. Week two, we said that, uh, we talked about it, and then we launched it, right? We said that we can experience God through prayer and fasting. And we have a lot of different ideas of what that looks like because we come from a lot of different church places. So we opened up God's word and it encouraged us. And so here's actually today, we're, we're on day 14 today of a 21 day journey of prayer and fasting. And some of you are like, I know it is 14 feels like 140. Okay. Here's what I'll say, man. We got seven more days left. Okay. Hang in there. Seven days. You can do it, man. God uh, will reveal himself. He'll show himself, right? We're disconnecting from the world, reconnecting with God. And then last week, man, such a special um, and unique time where we, we experienced God through worship. You know, like we didn't just stand in here and sing for an hour. Like it was so many different ways where we, we tasted and saw the goodness of our God and we experienced him through worship. So today, all of that's wrapping up in a message that, man, I have honestly, I've been pumped about this one for months uh, to share with you. And so it's going to be a great day today to talk about taste, see, and experience the goodness of our God. So if you got a copy of scripture, open up to Luke chapter five, Luke chapter five, uh, whether you've got a hard copy or maybe uh, you've got the Bible app on your phone, we'd love for you to open up there as well. And uh, if you don't have a copy of scripture, we always put the verses behind me on this screen so that you can see where we'll be today. Now, Luke chapter five, uh, here's, here's where we're headed, okay? Luke five is It has one of the most powerful, one of the most interesting stories of Jesus working, I think, in the whole New Testament, okay? For some of you uh, who grew up in Sunday school, okay, bless you, all right? I I did too. We survived. It's all good. Uh, But man, you you probably heard this story. Some of you will be familiar with it. Uh, And and so today, I pray that we don't hear just an old story, but that we hear uh, a story from God's Word that challenges us in a new way. So Luke chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 17. We'll start there. Says this, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Verse 18. 
Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, we're going to stop right there. We'll finish in a moment. But let's set the scene real quick, okay? Jesus is going town to town, all right, doing ministry. He's teaching. He's healing. All right, he's caring for people. He's going town to town and doing ministry. And in this day, in this moment, he is in a house teaching, okay? I don't know if, like, the conference center was booked or they didn't know he was coming or what, but they all the best they could do was a house. And so Jesus is in this house teaching, and tons of people begin flocking because they're hearing about what Jesus is about, what he's teaching, including some friends. They also have a paralyzed friend who they go, he needs healing. So they load up him, load up this friend on a mat, and they begin carrying him to get to Jesus. And so I want us to see some characteristics today that happen in this story and ultimately it's going to come back and tie into us. And so here's the first thing today, if you're taking notes, is that these men had a mission. Okay. These men had a mission. We probably all understand it. Now, two minutes into the message is that these, these men's mission was to get this paralyzed dude to Jesus because they had heard that Jesus could heal. Perhaps he could heal this guy too. And so these men were on a mission. They were united in a mission. And really, that's, isn't that what a mission does? A mission uh, unites people together and then moves them in a common direction. A mission uh, propels people together and forward. And so you, like you get mission, like you're, you're in the world, maybe for you, maybe even as a family, like you kind of have like a mission statement. Hey, here's what we're about together. Or you work at a company or you go to a school or you're on a ball team or you're part of a civic organization. And so you have a mission, right? You have a mission statement. This is what we're about. This is who we are. This is where we're headed. Okay, it's a great thing. Mission drives us together. Uh, but think about it. At your workplace, your organization, what happens if you you kind of start veering away from the mission a little bit, all right? Like supervisor comes in, boss man or lady comes in, right? And they're going like, hey, like, listen, like you're, you're not in alignment with the mission of where we're headed. And so you either get reprimanded or you're like, hey, you're not a part of the organization anymore because living on mission, it matters. It matters. Now, how many of you, all right, uh, would, would raise your hand and admit that you are on Instagram? How many of you are on Instagram? Okay, raise your hand. Some of you are like, can I say that in church? Yeah, it's okay, all right? Like, our church is on Instagram. It's okay, okay, you can admit that, all right? Or uh, maybe maybe I should have said the gram, okay, or the Insta, as the, as the young folks call it, okay? All right, I'm not in that crowd anymore, but I went there for five seconds, all right? Some of, many of you are on Instagram. Some of you didn't know, like, some of you thought Instagram was just like the app on your phone that you clicked on 43 times a day, okay? Okay, but it's actually like it's a company like they are a business. It is a legit big company. And guess what Instagram has? They have a mission like Instagram has a mission statement. Now, I know you probably couldn't quote it, but here is Instagram's mission statement to capture and share the world's moments. Oh, like in that in that sweet. That's great to capture and share the world's moments. And here's what I know about many of you who raised your hand or were reluctant or lied and didn't raise your hand a moment ago. Is that like, that's what you do? Is it not? Like this week, we're, we're so glad that you shared that picture of your dog or your kids or your lunch on Tuesday. Like we really needed to know what you were eating. Or for many of you, it was just a dozen pictures of yourself. Right? All right. And man, you made our week because you did that for us. Okay. And here's what, okay. In all seriousness, here's what you did. You know what you did? Uh, you lived out Instagram's mission. You captured and shared the world's moments. 
they got you, okay? You didn't even know it, but you lived out the mission of Instagram. Like, mission matters. And I know many of you, it's like, I'm not on the gram, okay? I'm on, I'm on the book, all right? I'm on Facebook, okay? Facebook also, it also has a mission. You didn't know it, but Facebook's mission is to create a media platform where mamas and grandmas can keep up with their kids and grandkids. That's it. Okay, so not exactly, all right? I fudged on that a little bit, but let's be real. Like, that's isn't that really what happens, okay, mamas and grandmas, just keeping up with their kids, okay? Hey, and for all the mamas and grandmas in the room, like this is side note, totally free right, of today's content. Listen to me. Um, the moment or that day that you requested to follow your kids or grandkids on Facebook, okay, they left and went to Instagram. That's where you can now find them, all right? Free, that's a tip, okay? They're all on the gram now. Get on over to the Insta, okay? Um, but, but listen to me. Man, living on mission matters so much so that like Jesus, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but Jesus had a mission. Jesus lived on mission. He actually kind of gives us his mission statement in Luke 19. You'll see this verse on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, for the son of man, that's Jesus, he came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus, in this moment, called the son of man, said this. He says, I came to earth, or I was sent by God the Father to earth on a rescue mission to seek and save the lost, or people who are far from God. Jesus had a mission. Just like these guys in Luke 5, he had a mission to get their friend, they had a mission to get their friend to Jesus. Now, for bonus points today, how many of you know that the exchange has a mission? Anybody know the exchange has a mission? We we actually want our mission to be so prominent, so out there. We're so passionate about our mission that like we plastered it on the wall, like, right? In the lobby, when you came in today, and some of you are like, I didn't see it. Like, did you open your eyes? I don't know. It's huge. I don't know. But, but here's, why, here's why we did that, not to just have cool artwork, but because we, we literally, we want nobody in our family to forget our mission. And you're like, well, I don't really know what it is. That's cool. Maybe you're new to our family. Here's our mission. Here it is. That we is the exchange. We want to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ, and then we want to see people live out their purpose. That's it. Like that's, that's what we've been about since day one. It means this. It means that we want to be a people. Um, we want to be a place. Sometimes we're a place. And we want to be a movement where all people from all walks of life, no matter what your story is, no matter how broken your life may seem, that you can, you can be a part and you can get, you can find life in Christ. And then we want to see you and me and all of us as we find life in Christ, that we want to grow up and live out our purpose. That we were created on a God-given purpose. And that's that's what we've been about since day one is that right there. Old life exchange for new, living out our purpose. And the reason that's our mission is really a couple of different things, um, if you're wondering. Uh, number one is really this. Uh, the reason that's our mission is because that's what Jesus' mission was. And kind of as Jesus' church, is Christ's bride, we're going like, hey, we should probably be about what Jesus was about, okay? And so that's reason that's our mission. Second reason that's our mission is because of this, because they're literally tens of thousands of people, all right, within just miles and minutes of this building right here, this morning, right now, who do not have the saving hope and knowledge of Jesus. And so we're like, that's, that's not okay. So this is going to be our mission. That we're going to be about this. You see, um, when we started the exchange seven and a half years ago, um, conservative estimates were this, that of the 28,000 people who just live in the city of Pearl, just a little 39208 thing going on here, that 70% of those people were not and are not connected to a life-giving spiritual family, a church. 70%. Which means that there's somewhere, I don't know, roughly around 19 
thousand people just within 15 minutes of this building this morning who are not connected to a spiritual family, which means there's a really good chance they're not connected to Jesus, who's the Savior of the family. You thought you woke up in the Bible Belt, where everybody goes to church. Wrong, right? And so we said, man, if that's the case, that's where we live. This is what Jesus was about. Like, this is what we're going to be about also. And I know some of you, like you drove in today from other cities, and man, we're super pumped that you're part of our family as well. And like you go, maybe it gets better where I am in Brandon or Flowood or Madison or Jacks. No, like it actually just gets, it, the number gets bigger. It gets worse, like to the point that where there are roughly 100,000 people, guys, 100,000 people in our cozy little cute little county that we sit in, 100,000 people this morning not connected to the saving hope and knowledge of Jesus, the way maker that we sang about a while ago. Not relationship with them. So we said, man, it has to be the heartbeat of our house that we would, we would go after, just like Jesus said, that we would seek and save the lost. And here's what I'll say, man. Over the last seven and a half years, if you're kind of new to our family, um, we have, man, we've had the privilege, the honor of watching over 220 people step into the baptism waters and declare Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. And we, we get stoked about that. We celebrate that like crazy, and I believe heaven rejoices. Okay, but can I do a little reality check this morning? That's awesome, exchange. That's awesome. But listen, listen, hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, here's what that means for us this morning. There's still roughly, I don't know, 18,700 and something people still out there. Mission's still the mission. Canada doesn't even feel like we made a dent in it. And so, man, as a spiritual house, we are passionately, boldly, unapologetically about seeing people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Some of you, maybe you walked in, you're like, man, I don't know, like this, this doesn't feel formal enough for me. Or like, I'm, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I don't feel like this is deep enough for me. Like, man, jump in and let's help fish together. Okay? Because that's, that's the heartbeat of who we are. These, these friends in Luke 5, they had a mission to get their friend to Jesus that's our mission as the exchange, too, to help get people to Jesus. We don't save them. We just help love them. And in Luke 5, 18, I want us to look back. They had a mission, but there's a, another little something in there that was so cool. Luke 5, 18, I'll read it again. It says, some men, these friends, came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And so they didn't just have a mission, but here's the second thing that we'll say it this way. These men had eager expectations. These men had eager expectation. Uh, there's a few things that as I read this story, as I did again this week, that I was like, man, like, it would have been cool to have these details in there. Scripture doesn't tell us uh, how far away these men lived. I, we don't know if they're like one neighborhood down the road from the host house today or like two neighborhoods or three cities. But like chances are they were a long way away. Like they could have been like dozens of miles away from the place where Jesus was. Story also doesn't tell us this. Okay, catch this. Scripture doesn't tell us how heavy the paralyzed friend was. Just saying. Okay, I don't know if he's like 100 pounds soaking wet, all right, or if he's big boy pushing three bills, all right, because he's played O-line and like, likes Big Macs. I don't know, all right. He could have been a big dude. But listen, here's the thing. Let's get real, all right. Put ourselves in the story. It's a hard task to carry anybody of any weight any distance, no matter how many friends you got helping out. Is it not? Okay, you ever, you ever carried dead weight before? All right, it ain't easy. 
And these dudes were carrying this guy who could not walk. And there's a really good chance that they got tired at some point and were like, like, we got to go home, man. <laughs> it's further than we thought. We're out of water. All right. But they kept going. And here's why. Because these dudes had an eager expectation because they knew Jesus was there. And they believed that he potentially had the power to do something life-changing for their friend. And so they acted with an eager expectation. If you look at the narrative of Scripture, it's filled with men and women of faith who did just that. They lived and acted with eager expectation. Let's go. Uh, what about Moses? Moses trusted God to lead the Israelites out of slavery, all right? And they come up to a body of water. The enemy's approaching. He's got hundreds of thousands of people. What's he going to do? Hold up his staff over the water to expect God to open it up, right? He held up his staff with eager expectation that God was going to make a way, and he did. But what about Joshua, who took the Israelites and marched around the walls of Jericho? Not one time, not two, how about seven, all right? You know how many people were complaining by the seventh time around? Why did he do it? He did it with eager expectation because he believed that God was going to work. Or we could go with Elijah. How about Elijah? He went one on like 400 with the prophets of Baal, prayed, he prayed that God would rain fire out of heaven, all right? Work that into your Tuesday blessing over lunch, all right? God, how about this afternoon? I really don't want to go to work. Drop some fire out of heaven. How about that, Okay. He just put the sacrifice in the altar, doused it with water, and then he's like, hey, God, what about, the, what about the rain of fire? He did it with eager expectation. Or we go Daniel. Daniel went against the king's plan because he was like, I'm locked into God's plan. You know what he got out of that? Not a night at the Motel 6. He got a night in the lion's den. In eager expectation that God was going to work and provide. It's story after story after story after story. Men and women of faith live with eager expectation that God would work. And as he exchanged... I think I can confidently say that we also, man, we go about day by day with an eager expectation that we have a God who's just so powerful, he's just so good that he could use us to impact a community and ultimately to point people to Jesus through the love and grace of God. And as I thought about it this week, like over the last seven and a half years that like we kind of been a thing, um, we've, we've done some pretty ridiculous stuff, some pretty crazy out there things all in eager expectation that we thought God might show up. Like seven and a half years ago, a lot of you, most of you, maybe none of you were there, but like we launched a church in a birthday party inflatable business. Uh-huh. We had a slush puppy machine. We were, we were the thing, all right? Ain't no steeple. We had a slush puppy machine. And we did it with eager expectation because we thought like God had a plan. And then we did church in a school cafeteria. That was stellar. Because a lot of people want to show up to school cafeteria on their off day. But we did it with eager expectation, believing that God was going to make a way. And then we renovated a 1950 shopping center. Beautiful, ain't it? All right? Believing that, that God was doing something with eager expectation, God was going to work. And then we did one gathering, and like it kind of filled up, so we started a second Sunday gathering. And then that one filled up, so we did a third Sunday gathering and it feels a little crazy, but we just keep doing it with eager expectation because we think that God's going to keep changing lives. And, um, you know, we've turned in hundreds, you have, hundreds of man hours, thousands of dollars to serve at city events, not our events sometimes, but city events, because we had an eager expectation that God would use them. Um, we've given away thousands of Christmas presents, you have, to kids in our school district. Kids maybe never meet, families will never maybe talk to, but we just did it with an eager expectation the guy was going to use it. Showed up on hundreds of doorsteps to give away Thanksgiving meals, 
because we had an eager expectation that God was going to bless and, and use that somehow. We, man, we've given away tens of thousands of dollars to other kingdom-minded missions here around the world because we're going like, it's, it's yours, God, not even really ours. We have an eager expectation you could use it better than we could. And then we keep showing up, man. We keep showing up Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, week after week to serve, all right, and give life to kids and families and students because we got this eager expectation that our God's that good and that he can keep changing lives. And he does. He does. You see, we do all this stuff because we have this eager expectation. We're on mission, like the guys in Luke 5, and we got an expectation that, that we don't just taste and see, but we watch God move, and the story goes on. And here's what happens next. Look at, back at verse 19, Luke chapter 5. All right, they're trying to get him to Jesus, right? When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, let's get a picture real quick. These men carrying their paralyzed friend, they get to the house where Jesus is. They didn't give up. They hung in there. And then they get there and the crowd's so stinking big, they can't even get in the house. Like it's overflowing. Rather than quitting, what do they do? They notice, hey, wise guy in the group, he's like, there's a staircase, goes up onto the roof. Like it's a fairly common thing in a house in that day. So they climb up onto the roof with the dead weight, paralyzed friend, get him up on the roof. And they're like, how about here? And they start digging a hole in, they don't know whose roof it is, but like they just know they've got an eager expectation. They're getting to Jesus, okay? Insurance will pay for it later. So they're digging this hole, all right, through straw, or maybe they won't, I don't know. Okay, digging a hole through straw, through this mud-like substance to drop the dude at Jesus' feet right up in the middle of the church service, all right? I'm just saying, like if somebody comes through the roof today, most of you are going that way, okay? And I am too. And they brought him to Jesus but there's so many moments all right, where they could have stopped because here's the reality. These men encountered an obstacle. Yeah, of course they did, right? These men encountered an obstacle. It would have been so easy for these men to give up at that moment that they saw the large crowd trying to get into the house. They're like, man, we tried. They, they could have like grown really discouraged turned around, gone home, and we ran out of water, like I can't carry this dude no more. This is further than we thought. And here's the thing, if like we would have read that story today and have been like, man, they, they gave it their best, they tried, but they just couldn't make it. We read that today without knowing the real ending, we'd have been like, yeah, it makes sense. Like they, they, they gave it their very best shot, but they just couldn't do it, right? They encountered a clear obstacle. And as we think about, again, flip it to you and me, as we think about this mission of God with eager expectation that we have, here's the reality. Man, we face some obstacles too, don't we? And this effort to try to point people to Jesus, to love them to Jesus, like we face a lot of obstacles. Sometimes like the list looks like, um, man, like money, we don't have as much money as, as we need to really accomplish something or um, out of space, hello, no secret there. Um, we, we don't have enough leaders. I mean, we need more leaders, need more leaders, make more disciples, love more people. Uh, we just need more people to serve and help. Like we got spots that are not full, filled and, all, and like all those are reality. But have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought that about many times the obstacle is us? Many times the obstacle it's you and me. It's us. It's not the stuff, but it's us. And we can often become our greatest obstacle. I ran across an article recently 
And the article outlined why the majority of people, right, you and me, don't invite people to church and ultimately to Jesus. I thought it was pretty interesting. I'll throw a few reasons at you, see if you resonate with any of these. Okay, here's one reason people don't invite other people is spiritual complacency. Simply meaning this. People lost their desire to share Jesus with others. That's it. Like, I'm good. Punch my ticket. Hope you're all right. Okay. Um, second reason people don't invite others to church and to Jesus is a growing disbelief in hell. I know, like, some of you grew up in the Bible Belt, but there's more and more people in our world who go, like, like hell's just kind of part of the whole Bible story thing. Not a real place. No need to really worry, am I going there, much less are other people going there. That's a thing. Another reason people don't invite people to church and to Jesus is just, just busyness. That's it. Just busyness. Like we're probably more busy as a culture right now than, let's be real, probably ever before in history, right? And so most people have uh, inviting others into Jesus and the church. It's, it's not high up on their priority list in comparison to the other important things that they have to do. Another reason uh, people don't invite people is churches have become content with not reaching lost people or people who are far from God. And so as a pastor today in the good old Bible Belt, I would just say right on. Yeah, unfortunate, but true way too many times. And people will get to that place. Maybe you've been there where they go like, dude, like we're good. We're good. We got enough people. I'm comfortable with these people. Don't shake this thing up. Why won't I invite more people into this? Because they're probably going to mess it up. And that's the reality. Okay? Here's another reason. Other people hide behind the fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Like, man, I can never invite that coworker. <laughs> never invite that mom of that other kid at the ball field. Like, what if I got rejected? What if they said no? All right. When the reality is that many studies show that three in four unchurched people would be open to a conversation about their faith. 75% of people would probably say yes. But we hide behind the, the fear of rejection. So let me ask you a personal question. Just answer it to yourself. When is the last time that you intentionally invited someone to Jesus and to church? Now, some of you, like you're awesome at this. And like you probably invited somebody this week. And dude, we're glad you're here. Hope they came with you. But for many of us in the room, for you, it's been weeks, months, maybe years since you invited someone into Jesus and into his family. You see, here's the thing. For the last month, whole month of January, we've been talking about personally doing what? Personally experiencing God, that we have a very real God who wants us to know him in a very personal way, that we're not going to just be caught up in like know God or know about God and do the church thing. And that's just one hour of seven days of my week. That's it. Okay. We've said, no, like God wants us to experience him as a dad, as a husband, as a high school student, as a single mom, that we would know God in very real ways. So we would taste and see. But do you know what? And many of you have done that, right? Like you've dove into scripture, maybe harder than ever before. Or you prayer and fasting. You're like, whoa, this is wild. They're like, I'm in. Okay. Or, or last week it was worship. You know, I've never worshiped like that before. You've tasted and seen, but do you know what the next step is? Share. When you taste and see of something good, the natural, not just spiritual, but the natural reaction is you share. Think about it. 
okay? Like if you go to a new restaurant or you have a phenomenal meal at a restaurant, all right, let's say like it's a big old juicy steak, all right, or this like big old fat burger with all the toppings or one of my personal favorites, it's like this full rack of barbecue ribs with just the sauce just slopping all over. Okay, I'm sorry for all of us who are fasting. I did just do that. That was wrong. Shouldn't have done that. All right, but listen, listen, you have that meal or you experience that restaurant and then what do you do? You just go, oh, that's good. No, you don't. You take it to the gram. You put it on the Insta. You're like, look at my meal. A million emojis. You got to go try it too. You're texting all your friends. Have you ever been to the whatever, right? Or, or then it's like you, next time you see your family or coworkers, you're like, have you ever heard of such a, no, where have you been? Okay, we have to go tomorrow and the next. When you taste and see something that is good, you will share it. It's what we do. You will share it. So can I ask you a, a, another question? If we, you and me, if we can get that excited about a single meal or a single restaurant, why can't we get just, just that excited about inviting other people into Jesus and into his family? That's a tough one to wrestle with. If we've truly tasted and seen of the goodness of God, we, we will share it. Like, you will. If it's real in you, it's going to come out of you. If it's not, then we have to ask some questions about how real is it in me. So today, as we close out our series, man, I'm super pumped to introduce you to what I believe God wants to kind of call our spiritual family into, that we're going to be a part of throughout the year of 2020, simply called the one mission. The one mission. That's it. Now, while some of you are incredible, stay with me, while some of you are incredible at inviting others into our spiritual family, there are many of you in the room today watching online. You ain't invited anybody in a long time. And I want to stand before you today as your pastor, and I want to say this, okay? Number one, we're seven and a half years old. And at some point, I don't know what the number is, a church plant is no longer the new shiny new church anymore. You know what it becomes? Just a church. And we kind of talked a second ago about some places that become just a church. And I'll just be honest with you to say, I don't ever want to be that. But I'll be even more real to you as your pastor and say in front of you today, and I'll confess this to our staff, I'll confess it in front of you, that there are weeks sometimes that go by when I, as your pastor, right, get so whatever, so busy that I fail to invite people into Jesus and his family. Sometimes because I got more important things to do. I'll just be real with you to say, like, I'm convicted about that. That's not okay. I mean, I don't ever want to become that kind of person that thinks it's me and that's good because there's thousands of people around us who are, are not good. They don't have that saving hope and faith of Jesus. And so here's what I want to say. I want, I want to kind of show you real quick what the one mission is all about. God showed me a picture. Right? He gave me a picture a few weeks ago. and was so good. I knew I was going to share it with you. And I knew it was hint from him because it kind of had to do with math. 
I'm not a math guy. So I was like, God, clearly this is you speaking. And so would you take this? Would you use this however you want to use this? And so here, here's what the one mission is really all about. It's about inviting others into Jesus and into his family. So track with me for a second, okay? On an average to good Sunday here at our spiritual house, 417 North Beardman, we see around 300 adults come to our gathering. Okay, that's like junior high, high school kids. What up? Thank y'all for being in the room. Okay, moms, dads, grandparents, 300, around 300 of you. Okay, work with me. If you and I, because I'm part of that, if we were to invite just one person a week, just one, don't get crazy with two, just one, one classmate, one coworker, one teammate, one neighbor, one friend or family member, one guy at the hardware store, one lady at the grocery store, just one, just one, okay? And you were to put all that together because we are on a one mission together. We invited one for the remaining 47 Sundays of 2020, which is what we have left that we're going to gather on, okay? At the end of 2020, we would have invited 14,100 new people to possibly experience Jesus and his family. I know. 14,000 people. Here's the picture. That's half of the population of our city. Just this little thing here, 39208. Crazy stuff. 14,000 people. Now, what you may not have realized is that out of the hundreds of new people that walked through our doors last year, more new people walked through our doors in 2019 than ever before, you want to know what? 71% of the people, you know why they came? A personal invite from a friend or family. 71% of hundreds of people, by far the number one reason people showed up, because you, you invited them. Now, Let's be realistic, okay? That's awesome. 14,000 people are not going to show up, all right, to our gatherings just because you invite them, okay? If they did, ooh, Nelly, would we have a problem, okay? <laughs> you thought it was full today, all right? There would be droves of you leaving, all right? It would be an issue, okay? So let's say this. Let's say very conservative, that out of 14,100 people that we invite, just because we just one invite, just one a week, all right, let's say just 10%. Just 10% showed up. That would mean that across the course of this year, we would see 1,410 new people who actually do walk in these doors, the little shopping center, to experience perhaps Jesus and experience community through his family. 1,410 new people. Now, here's to make it even simpler, even more easy to understand. You know what that means? If you kind of, I did some math for you. Here's what that means. If you're inviting 47 people personally, just one, just one a week, okay? You know how many of your 47 actually show up to make that happen? Four. That's it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm betting on you that if you invite 47, you could get four. Like I, I have faith in you that that could happen. Just four out of 47. And when God showed that to me, I was like, God, like how, how cool is that? Maybe how disobedient are we, am I? 
that we would not invite the 70%, right, the brokenness, the loss, the 19,000 people in to be a part of this. And God says, you think that's good. I want to show you one more thing. He said, what if? What if out of the 1,410 who just walk in just to be a part, maybe it's just one day, what if just 5% of them found relationship with me? Just 5%. 5% of the 10% of the 14,000. Not the 14,000, but just 5% of all of that. It means that across the course of this year, we would see 70 new people find life in Jesus. Is that worth passing out, giving one invite a week for? I'm down with that. I think I can carve out 30 seconds to handle that in my week. And that's the power of one. One invite. So this week, it starts the one mission. So you walked in today and you're like, man, why is this card in my seat? I'm already here. Why do I need to be a guest? It's not about you. It's about you using this card to begin praying even this week. Who, who is it that you're going to run into? It's going to be somebody at school. It's the extracurricular activity. It's the, the ball field. It's the hardware store, the grocery store, Walmart, the neighbor, the, the family member who lives in your own house. Like, so I, I want you to pray about, all right, take this card. Don't stick it on the floorboard of your, of your vehicle and lose it or in the bottom of your purse. But I want you to take this card all right, and keep it in a place where you're going to go, God, there's somebody you want me to impact. 14,000 invites, 1,400 new people, possibly 70 people moving from death to life because we gave out one. End of our story. Don't miss it. Luke 5 verse 20 says this. When Jesus saw their faith, all right, dropped the friend of Jesus, said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they began thinking to themselves, this is the church people, the stuffy church people. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew because he's God he knew what they were thinking, and so he asked these stuffy church people, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus does the full meal deal. He says, so now, paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on and he went home praising God. You think? Yeah, me too. Everyone was amazed and said, gave praise to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And we would say, yes, you have. Okay. The man is dropped at the feet of Jesus where don't miss this. This is important. Jesus doesn't just heal the man's paralysis. But Jesus forgives the man's sins. Here's why. Because your spiritual need is always more important than your physical need. And Jesus went for the deepest need first. And he forgave his sins, and then he healed the man. And then it says when he left, everybody was overwhelmed. And they were like, holy cow. Son of the living God, Messiah. And here's the last little thing I want us to see. These men, all right, these men experienced the work of God. And we would just say, yes, you did. These men experienced the work of God. These friends had a mission. They came with eager expectation. They overcame an obstacle. And as a result of that, they sat on the front row to experience the miracle-working power 
of their God. Now, here's my question. That was them. What about us? What, what, what could happen for us? Like, if we didn't just go, like, okay, well, I just, I know God, and I do church. But, like, what if we experienced him, and it led us to share? It wasn't just taste and see for me, but it was taste and see, which always equal share. What if? Like, what if we did that? I mean, that was, like, four or five dudes. What could we experience together as a spiritual family? I, I, I think I know a little bit of it. I believe we could continue to see dozens, if not hundreds, of stories of life change, just like we have over the last seven and a half years. Like it would be stories, just like um, a guy named Buddy. Before Buddy um, met Jesus, Buddy was selfish. He was self-sufficient. He believed he really didn't need any help from anyone. And he, he had a family, but he lived life for himself. He lived life chasing all the things that the world says will fulfill you, money, Success, all of those things. He was looking for satisfaction and joy, chasing the things of the world. And in a really, really low moment in Buddy's life, God sent someone into his story who began to point his heart towards Jesus. And although Buddy had heard about God before, he'd never really surrendered and opened himself up to God's plan for his life. But in this moment, God did something miraculous. And Buddy opened up his heart, and he began reading his Bible and then, then it was during one of our gatherings where Buddy's oldest son, Joshua, who had been a part of our family, where God's done something in me and the old has been raised to new, and Joshua got in the baptism waters and he was baptized in our gathering. And on that day, his dad, Buddy, said, if God can change my son, he can change me too. And on that day, Buddy's faith was awakened like never before. And God began to offer forgiveness in Buddy's life, and he began to be able to offer that forgiveness also to other people. And Buddy now lives life declaring every day, not perfectly, but that Jesus is Lord and Savior of his life. In fact, I want you to meet Buddy right now, and I want you to experience Buddy declaring Jesus is Lord through believer's baptism in front of our spiritual family. Hey, buddy. Proud of you, man. We really are. What a phenomenal story. Trusting Jesus through all things, even when it's not easy, even when life is broken. And you got a big old spiritual family who's here today, who's proud of you, who supports you, and who's for you and living out your purpose in Christ. And so as we've heard your story today, here's what I would ask you. What's your confession? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He very much is. And Scripture says because you confess him with your mouth and with your life before this room full of people today, that Jesus stands before God the Father and he says, that's my son. That's my boy. And so it's going to be our privilege today for Brian to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buddy's old life, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. And it's so good it doesn't stop there. But I also want you to meet Whitney today.
Whitney grew up in a home where she was taught about the love of God. She knew about the things of God. In fact, even when Whitney was a seventh grader, Whitney surrendered her life to Jesus. She says, I'm in. But as life went on and years got older and she matured some, her priorities began to be challenged as she moved to college and she became a young adult. And all of a sudden, a lot of the, the church religious motions begin to feel like dry, hollow things to her. However, in 2016, Whitney met Josh, who also had a relationship with Jesus, and Josh valued what it means to be a part of spiritual community, just like what we're a part of today. And in 2017, Whitney and Josh were engaged, they were married, and they began to connect with our spiritual family here at The Exchange. And over the last few years, God has used her husband, and God has used you, her spiritual family, to increase her faith, to increase her experiencing and knowing and following of Jesus with her life. And at the beginning of last year, Whitney and Josh were a part of our Unite membership experience because they wanted to connect and grow with our family. And Later this year, they will welcome in their very first child to their family. So today, man, Whitney's relationship with God began a long time ago. But today she stands before you to take the obedient next step to declare Jesus as Lord and leader of her life. Whitney, we're proud of you too. And uh, we're grateful for you sharing your story with us today. And so I would say, Whitney, if that's your story, what's your confession? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is. He is. And Scripture says today, Whitney, because you confess him as Lord before this room full of people today, um, that, man, God the Father says, that's my daughter, and she belongs to me. And so it's going to be our joy for Brian to baptize you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Old life, buried in Christ, and raised to walk in newness of life. The power of an invite. Just one. You know, it was a part of both of those stories. They were invited in. They were invited in. So church, here's what I say to you and me today. That God has called us to taste and see and experience him. That taste and see and experience always equals share. It always equals share. And he says, will you share others with others the goodness of who I am so that they might find also? Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.